Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. All right. Would you... Are we still on here? Yeah. Would you grab your Bibles? We're going to read together. Roger, if you want to come... We're going to be reading at the end of Revelation chapter 1 through the beginning of chapter 2. And as he comes, would you stand together as we show honor to the word of the Lord. Right there for the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves prophets and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, being aware of the distance that there is between the gospel and the human condition, we look to you for your help. We pray for your conviction and encouragement. We pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us into the truth. Give us ears to hear. We wait on you with expectant hearts. Amen. All right, as we begin, this is our second Sunday in the book of Revelation. We're going to be spending about 12 weeks in this book. So for those of you who are visiting, that may sound like a long time. For those of you who are part of Eden Worship Center, you're like, I can't believe we're going to make it through one book in 12 weeks. This is amazing. Uh, One of the reasons we're going to be able to do that is we're encouraging you uh, as families, as individuals, to be reading through these chapters at home before you come and worship together with us. So we're not going to read every verse in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 today. Uh, Hopefully you have done that. 
before you came into this place, if you haven't, uh, this afternoon, go home and read Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And then as the weeks come, uh, we'll be reminding you to be reading ahead for what is coming. Uh, Also, as we are walking through this, we want to hear from you, hear your questions. Uh, So if at any point during the service, uh, whether it's during the sermon or even up to uh, all day tomorrow, if you want to send in questions uh, based on what we're reading, we will uh, do our best to address those in the podcast, which, uh, Lord willing, comes out on Wednesdays. Uh, So you can... can Hear the preaching of God's word, and then on Wednesdays, hear the interaction with God's word and and some of the biblical answers to your questions as best we can. So here's the the main thrust of this morning. This is actually the main thrust of the entire book of Revelation, Christ is King. King of kings, Lord of lords, an ancient proclamation of the church, Christus Victor, Christ the Victor. Oh, how quickly we forget. Oh, how quickly, when the world seems to be winning, that we forget that Christ is victor. That Christ is conquering king when we seem to be losing. Now, we can almost hold on when we see it looks like darkness is invading the world, but my life is okay. We can hold on. And yet when my life is struggling, oh, it feels like Christ has let go. Be reminded, oh, weary Christian, Christ is king. That's the theme of the book of Revelation. I actually believe that's the theme of the Christian life. But sometimes we just can't see it, and a lot of times we just don't feel it. We don't experience it. And because that is true, we are then prone to drift. Or even run from God. Moments in our lives where we experience things and then we begin to not just drift. Drift is sort of a, a passive thing that happens to us. No, we, we actually run from God. Daniel Aiken, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, and specifically the, the passage we just read about the church in Ephesus, writes this, To the church of Ephesus, Jesus doesn't say, You have lost your first love. He says, You left it. You abandoned it. Christian, let's just be really clear about what we're saying. See, if drift happens, that's because I got caught up in the current. I was unaware. Has anybody ever been on a boat or even floating down a river sometime, maybe on on an inner tube? And you realize because of inactivity, there's a large space between me and the rest of the group. Anybody experienced that before? Maybe you're just offshore and you look up and through inactivity, you have moved significantly where everybody is on shore. That's not what's happening when we drift from God. This is an active choice to walk away from him. This church that he's speaking of, and and these churches are representative of all churches, looks really good from the outside. Doctrine is solid. They don't tolerate false teachers. He even says, you hate the sin that is invading the church. That's the Nicolaitans. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And yet to them, he says, there is something so grievous going on inside of the church. It looks good from the outside, but on the inside, if you don't repent, he says, I'm going to remove you as a church. I'm going to remove your lampstand. That's what we read at the end of chapter 1. These churches are representative of these lampstands. The the light of the world in the midst of darkness, he says, I'm going to remove you as a church. Christian, there are some times when a church shuts down, we should rejoice and not weep. That Christ the King just shut down an unfaithful church. 
Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes God moves people around and shuffles them around, but when we see a lack of faithfulness to God and his word, we should rejoice when those churches are silenced. Let me just give us an example as we jump in here. At the beginning of a sermon, it's always good to put something in that people can identify with and engage with. And now, those of you who are younger, just shut up and listen, all right? right you, you just sit in your place while the old people have a conversation. Guys, guys who are over a certain age, there are some of us who were shaped in our lives and our thinking in our hearts by something we saw in 1986. Here's what it is. If you met the most beautiful woman that you'd ever seen in your whole life, you knew you could walk up to her and say, You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. I actually just watched this clip. Man, Tom Cruise cannot sing. He is awful. I don't know how it worked, but we were convinced if you could get 30 of your closest friends to join in in this chorus, if you've lost that love and feeling, you would win the girl. And i got to confess, I really wanted to try this. Oh, man. And yet, looking back at it, look at those lyrics. This isn't something to sing. This isn't something to celebrate. There is heartache and devastation. And yet, doesn't this describe much of the church today? They're still showing up at the right place. They're still basically doing the right thing. And yet all of that passion for our Savior, passion for our King is gone. All of that longing for intimacy is gone and they're just going through the motions. Is it any wonder that Christ, the head of the church, would look at that as husband to his bride and say, I will not tolerate this in my church. That's what we see in the book of Revelation. He addresses these churches that he loves, that we're told in Acts that he paid for with his own blood, and he says this is very serious. I think the reason for that is Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 15 says, the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord, because of our sin, because he is holy and we are not, The anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would wipe you off the face of the earth. God said that to his people. Oh, there's elements in these seven churches we're going to look at this morning that can be found in all churches, that can be found in our church. That means we should stop and ask ourselves, how is that even possible? How is it possible that churches paid for with the blood of Jesus, filled with people who love Jesus, who've been saved by Jesus, how is it possible that they would abandon their first love? That they would, we find in another church, spiritual compromise. We find in another church, sexual immorality. We find in another, Jesus says, you're asleep. To another, he says, you're dead. And to another, you are lukewarm, wretched, blind, and naked. I think the answer of how that is possible is because deception and drift from faithfulness to God and his word goes almost without our notice. It's small compromises, small excuses for sin, small excuses for self-indulgence that sneak in to our hearts and lives and minds, and before we know it, it has invaded everything. Richard Phillips, in his commentary on these chapters, said this, Christ's people need to hear Christ's voice. 
What's the antidote to that drift, to that coldness of heart? We need to hear his voice. He says, the tendency is for our ideas about the church to veer into selfish or worldly directions unless we are constantly under the correction of our sovereign Lord. That's why we find in Revelation 2, verse 7, Revelation 2, verse 11, Revelation 2, verse 17, Revelation 2, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 13, chapter 3, verse 22, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven times. For those of you who were here last week, what what does the number seven represent in Scripture, but especially in Revelation? Come on, talk to me a little bit completeness, wholeness, the fullness. Now think, if God says something once in his word, is it important? Yeah, absolutely. We should stop and pay attention. If God says it back to back to back seven times, oh, stop everything that you're doing and pay attention. So what has happened? What happened to those churches? What happens to our churches and our heart? I think there's four main things that we see in these churches. Dangers in the midst of a darkened world. Here they are. Number one, false teaching. False teaching coming into the church. False teaching that we believe. Number two, a trust in our own orthodoxy. If you're not familiar with that word, it just means right thinking or right teaching. That our doctrine, what we believe about God and church and man, is right. And we think we're justified before God because we believe just the right things. False teaching, trust in orthodoxy. Number three, trust in good works. The good things that I do. Usually it's not the good things that I do, it's the bad things that I don't do. Or at least we put those two in a scale and hope our good deeds outweigh our bad. And number four, tolerating sin. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's jump in here. As we look at these, I, I just want to confess to you, going through it, I felt that moment of just being overwhelmed by these things. Whether it's our life, our church, our community, our world, our nation, the church in general, it almost makes you want to give up. It looks like these churches that Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, like their victory is in doubt. If you feel that way, whether it's your life, your family, your work, your church, I would say hold on to the end because it's Christ's power. Christ's promise that are the hope for the church today. None of you look moved by that. I'm going to say it one more time. Right? Let's just put it in really stark language. Sometimes your life sucks. Sometimes it's beyond your power to fix it. Listen, Christ's power, Christ's promise are the hope for the church and your life today. Grab onto that. Here's the first one, false teaching. To the church in Pergamum, he writes, Revelation chapter 2, verse 13 to 15, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast to my name. You do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who evidently was an early martyr who was killed for his faith. He was killed among you where Satan dwells. Does that sound like a bad place to live? Man. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, a flashback to the Old Testament who basically prophesied against God, against God's people, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols, practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings 
of the Nicolaitans. Now, we're not going to take a whole lot of time. Uh, listen to the podcast on Wednesday. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this. Uh, but the early church father, Irenaeus, who, again, we talked about in the podcast. Uh, so the Apostle John, who probably wrote this book of Revelation, had a disciple named Polycarp, who had a disciple named Irenaeus. He was born in 120 A.D., So he's living really close to the time that this is written. He said that this reference to the Nicolaitans were the followers of Nicholas who'd been chosen as a deacon in Acts chapter 6 verse 5, along with, uh, like Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Only as time goes on, he starts teaching wrong things, and he taught people to live lives unrestrained, indulgence, idolatry. What happens so often when we start looking at ourselves and living for ourselves is it leads us towards immorality. Nobody says, I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to do my own thing. And then starts living more and more faithful to God's word. That is never how it works. It's always towards sin. It's always towards the world. You find this again at the church in Thyatira. We're just going to sort of take a sampling of the places where he talks about false teaching to the different churches. Thyatira, Revelation 2, 19-20, says, I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. You're doing even better now than you were to start with, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. You are tolerating bad teaching in the church, and God says, I hold that against you, even though you're doing better and better even than you were at the beginning. You find it in the church of Laodicea, Revelation 3, verse 17. For I say, for you say, I'm rich. This is the church speaking of themselves. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked because of the things that you've allowed to creep into your heart in church. These are good churches. Don't don't miss this. Don't paint us as the good church and them as the bad churches. They are us. They represent all churches. They're filled with people who love Jesus. And into that, Jesus says, I get it. You live in a really bad place. You, You live where the very throne of Satan is, he says to one church. These are dark times. These are difficult times. Someone was mean to you on Facebook. I get it. That's exactly the same as having the Taliban threaten to kill the father and rape the mother so your children won't follow Jesus. It's the same thing. You're just as persecuted, so you should shout it on Facebook. Oh, persecuted church. Sorry, that one bothers me just a little bit. Deep breathing. We're all fine. We're going to get through this. Jesus says to them, I get it. Your friend, your mentor, some of you, your family member, he's actually mentioned by name, Antipas here, has just been martyred for his faith. We don't know what that looked like. Can you even imagine? Imagine if we're the ones where they're coming in, invading your homes, they're going through your phone to see you have a Bible app on your phone, and if you do, they kill you. And last Sunday, they came into the building, and they grabbed Pastor John, and they took him outside, and they said, kids, if you follow Jesus, this will happen to you, and they shot him in the head. And he's laying there in the parking lot, and they said, now go home. Into that context, Jesus says, I know what you're going through, I get it. And then he still says, I'm holding you to faithfulness, demanding of you purity in worship. Oh, this is not a light call to the church. 
So in the midst of darkness, in the midst of pressure from a dark world, how are we to respond? Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. He's, he's talking here about false teachers. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have, and here it is, have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. We test every word against the word of God. The unchanging, without error, word of God. In adult Sunday school last week, we were having a conversation about whether or not it is appropriate to call out false teachers by name. Whether we should just let them do their thing and we do our thing. And I'm not going to go into all the detail here, just to say in 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20, uh, Paul mentions by name, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Verse 20, among, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan. That's 1 Timothy. When Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.16, he says, Avoid irreverent, empty chatter, which will only lead to more ungodliness, and talk of such men will spread their poison like gangrene in the church. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Evidently, this Hymenaeus is a bad dude who would not go away. Paul calls him out twice. They have deviated from the truth, he says. The remedy is not just calling out false teachers. That's important. It is calling forth biblical truth. It is pouring the truth of God's word into your heart and soul. We do it on a Sunday morning, but listen, it's not enough. This is not enough. You're, in the course of your life, you're going to retain almost nothing of what I say this morning, which is depressing for me. <laughs> in fact, statistically, if you're not taking notes, you're going to retain less than 10% of what we talk about. Now, if you can re-engage with the material, if you can have conversations with the material, it starts going up to 50 and even 90%. But Christian, if you're not engaging with God's word, if you're not pouring God's word into your heart and life, you'll believe anything and everything that comes along because it sounds good to me. The remedy is biblical truth. Some rather strict warnings. John, who wrote this in his book, 2 John verse 10, says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, this gospel, this Christ... Do not receive him into your house or even give him a greeting. There's a helpful uh, podcast resource from John Piper and Desiring God. Uh, it just went up on Facebook, or at least it should here in the next couple minutes. Uh, if you want to go and listen to that, it's about 10 minutes long. It's part of the Ask Pastor John thing, talking about what do we do with false teaching and false teachers. I think you'll find that helpful. If you don't have Facebook, uh, come and talk to me afterwards and I'll send it to you. That's the first one, false teachers. Here's another giant pitfall that we fall into. It is a danger for the church, and that is trusting orthodoxy. This is the opposite of false teaching. This isn't, uh, I'm blindly being misled by false teaching. No, this is me trusting. We have right teaching and right doctrine. We rightly handle the word of God, and therefore, even if my life doesn't 100% line up with it, I must be fine because I believe the right thing. Oh, take warning, as he says to the church in Laodicea in chapter 3, verse 17, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. To the church in Sardis, he says, you think you're alive, but you're dead. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
To the church in Ephesus, he writes, Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. You can't bear with those who do evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You've found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Can you hear those with different ears thinking about the saints in Afghanistan right now? I know you are enduring patiently. You are bearing up for my name's sake. You've not grown weary, but listen. I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Oh, this is a real danger. Doctrinally faithful churches. Oh, God, I, I, I pray. We've prayed over and over. God, make us faithful. Constantly make us faithful to your word. And yet there's a danger in resting and being right. Did you hear that? There's a danger in us resting in being Right. We're careful with doctrine. That doctrine just means the teaching. We're careful with scripture. Oh, but how quickly are we condescending towards others who we feel don't do it the way we should? Don't do it the right way. Can I just remind us, reformed believers, Jesus has yet to part the heavens and say, knock it off to almost anybody. As much as we might disagree with it, Christ the King has allowed it to endure until he sorts it out. We should maybe be a little more gracious. Here's the danger. First, we trust in our orthodoxy, our right teaching. What we believe, even if our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions don't match what we say. I'm fine because I believe the right thing. But here's the second danger. Because maybe you're a good rule follower. Maybe you're here and you go, my life, I do believe the right thing, but I'm also really good at following the rules, so my life actually does match up. And yet our trust is not in our Savior, it's in our orthodoxy. It's in our right teaching, what we believe, but our hearts, listen, are never moved to worship because of what we believe. Oh, how long's it been? How long's it been to, since your heart was moved towards worship because of what you believed? How long has it been? Can you even remember the last time when you were moved in worship while we were singing? Not just moving your lips while we were singing, but you sang something and the truth of it exploded in your heart and it just came out in worship, whatever that looked like. Can you remember the last time you were amazed by what you read in God's word and it just sparked a deeper hunger for his word? Or have you grown so cold that if we asked you this morning, you can't remember the last time you read God's word? Oh, church, let's be honest with ourselves. Is there a chance you're trusting in the fact that you believe the right thing? Are you trusting in the fact that you came to church this morning? Here's what Jesus says to you. Repent. Repent and trust in him. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 through 11, Jesus says to the people who were doing exactly that, the Pharisees. They were keeping exactly right the law. They they were commanding that and demanding that of everyone else around them. And he looks at them and says, you are hypocrites. Well, did the prophet Isaiah, it's Isaiah 29, 13, say of you when he said, verse 8 here, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then some of the most terrifying words that we find in Scripture, in vain, it didn't count. It doesn't work. 
You're cut off from the living God. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. That's trusting in orthodoxy. And the third one goes hand in hand with it, trusting in our good works. To the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2.19, he says, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, that your latter works have actually exceeded your first. To the church in Sardis, he writes, Revelation 3, verse 1, I know your works, you have a reputation for being alive, and then comes the stinger, but you are dead. Oh, how many churches today would Christ look at and say, you have a great reputation as an active, growing church. In fact, you're a mega church, and yet you are dead. It's almost depressing how quickly we move as Christians and churches from trusting in Christ alone. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I've seen the depth of my sin. I love the testimony that these two young people shared this morning. I, I love the genuineness of their heart. Oh, a sinner saved by grace. Oh, and everything that I have, I want to follow Christ. But how quickly do we forget that and find our hope of salvation in our following not in the calling that God had given. So our hope of salvation and God's blessing in heaven come because I'm working really hard at it. Christians, the rest of the world is good at this too. Before we start feeling too bad of ourselves, the rest of the world is really good at saying, this is what we want, this is what we believe, this is what we demand you believe, and if you don't do it, anybody ever heard of the cancel culture? We will cancel you. I just heard a new one where uh, you're doing something and it erases me. What kind of imaginary world are we living in where people get erased? Have you seen that great commercial where it's like the three or four old ladies sitting in a living room and they don't understand Facebook? She's like, I'm posting to my wall. (laughs) And her friend's like, that's not how it works. And she's like, I unfriend you. (laughs) That's not how any of this works. Works, But let me just say, even though we see it in the world, the church is really good at this. I just looked up a few of these from different churches. Here's just a few of the rules that have been required at different churches. These are real examples. Number one, ushers must wear a tie, but those who serve communion must wear a tie and a jacket. There's something spiritual about that jacket. We knew it all along. Uh, Women, no pants, no makeup, no jewelry. Men, you have to wear a beard if you're married, or another church, no facial hair at all. No movies of any kind, whether it's in a theater or in your home. No card games. You can only use the King James version of the Bible. No books. This is my favorite one. No books that aren't at least 15 years old. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, that's real. Uh, No dyeing of your hair. I'm assuming that's for women or men with hair. Women, no cutting your hair. Families, no television allowed in your house. And actually, this one's my favorite on the list. Women, your nylons must have a seam on them. (laughs) Now, we laugh at those. And yet, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're fine because we believe in Jesus. Like, those are silly other people. We believe in in Jesus. We go to church most of the time. Some of the time. Oh, how quickly we don't realize the coldness that has crept into our own heart. When that happens, this last danger comes all too quickly 
and that is tolerating sin. Think with me. It's not the water outside of the boat that sinks the boat. It's the water that gets inside. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the world as you hold forth the word of God. But what happens when the church stops doing that? And instead of us being ambassadors for the gospel, light in the midst of a dark world, so often what happens is the darkness invades the church. Sin creeps into the church. Cultural compromise, political correctness have caused many churches to abandon biblical faithfulness. Oh, hear that as a warning for us at Eden Worship Center. Cultural compromise and political correctness have caused many churches to abandon biblical faithfulness. Here's what happens when sin creeps in almost every time. It leads in one direction, and that's immorality. And so often, sexual immorality. And yet we hear from the world, well, you know, no big deal. You do you. You're not allowed to force your thoughts and beliefs on anyone else. Aren't you really glad that the world never forces any of its thoughts and beliefs on us? It's great. Here's the truth. We all do that. We all believe something is right, and then we demand orthodox belief. You must believe. You must act rightly in accordance with what we say is right. And I just want to say, I don't care what the world says. I actually don't care what the church says. You know why? Because the world and the church have just changed their mind generation after generation, century after century. If you don't like it, just wait a couple centuries. It'll all be different if you can hold out that long. Here's who I actually care about, and that's what Jesus says to the church. Amen? To the church in Sardis, he writes, Revelation 3, verse 3, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come. Here's the terrifying words against you. To Laodicea, verse 3, Uh, Chapter 3, verse 16, I will spit you out of my mouth. To the church in Pergamum, Revelation 2, verse 16, he says, Therefore, repent, if not, I will come to you soon. Oh, hear this. And war against you with the sword of my mouth. Remember that description from the beginning where John sees uh, the resurrected, exalted Christ? His face is like the sun in its full shine, and out of his mouth is coming a two-edged sword. He said, I'm going to use that against you. To the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2, verse 21 to 23. Man, this is the one that he warned about tolerating the false teaching of this woman who was like Jezebel. That's why he uses the word Jezebel. Remember, Revelation's full of symbolism. He says, I gave her time to repent, but if she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality, behold... I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works and put your seatbelts on, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the heart and mind, and I will give to each according to their works. Here's what we do not ever want from God. Fairness. 
An equal giving because of our works. You know why? Because our works do not measure up. What our works have earned us is eternal condemnation. No, what we beg God for is grace. Mercy in Christ alone. We think about that. We're facing an epidemic of compromise and accommodation with the world in churches today. Christians and churches are trading away clear scriptural command for fellowship and acceptance by the world. Jesus would say, listen, there are dire consequences for those who do that. It is easy for our lives and our world to feel overwhelmed. We think about these things and we think about practical examples in our life and our world and we can just feel like, man, what's the hope? Why do I even bother? So let's, let's turn. Let's focus on the center of the book of Revelation, and that is Christ himself. Spend the last few minutes looking at Christ's power, Christ's promise. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers. We're going to see that word over and over and over again. The one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That word conquers comes from a Greek word that not only do you, some of you know, uh, I can see at least one example of you are wearing it right now. It is the Greek word Nike. Anybody heard of that word? It, it's, it, it's the variation Nikos that is here, and it means victory, to win, to be the champion. He says to the one who wins in the end, to the one who holds out to the end. You want to guess how many times we're going to find that word in these passages to these churches? Seven. This number of perfect completeness. Come on, let's rifle through them. Revelation 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. Nike, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. In Christ, we are transformed from death to life. We saw that in baptism, buried with him in death, raised in newness of life. He not only gives us a new heart, but a new name in him. Chapter 2, verse 26, he says to the one who conquers, same word, who keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, verses 5 through 6, to the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. Have you noticed? It's the churches who seem to conquer, and yet all of the winning and victory seems to come from somebody else. Somebody else is giving them the victory. He gave them the power to win and then the reward for winning. Revelation 3, verse 12 to 13, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of the God, a new Jerusalem which comes down from God out of heaven. In my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's the churches. And last one, Revelation 3, 21 to 22, 
The one who conquers, same word, I will grant to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down on my Father's throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches again and again. Church, are you listening? Church, are you listening? In the midst of darkness, are you listening? In the midst of persecution, are you listening? In the midst of spiritual drift, oh, listen again. Yet we might hear that and go, you don't know. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how difficult it is. You don't know my husband. What I have to endure. You don't, you don't know the world that we're living in. Oh, it's terrible. Here's why the church can conquer. It is not because the strength of our willpower It's not because of our righteousness. It's because this word is not used in this letter to the churches seven times. It's used eight times. Seven times are about the churches. The eighth time is about the head of the church. These churches, poor, blind, lukewarm, half asleep, spiritually compromising, and dead are told, in Christ you have the power to Nike overcome. How is that possible? Especially when we don't feel it. Because of Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also, same word, conquered. Sat down with my father on his throne. Listen, Christian, any victory that we have is just joining the victory that Christ has already won. Man, for those of you who feel like your life is one giant struggle, you better hear that one more time. Any victory that we have is just joining in the victory Christ has already won. For some of you, you're, you're going through really difficult things, and it is, it is overwhelming to almost everything in your life. Everything gets colored by the thought of this, listen, Christ has already won. You just haven't seen the end yet. That victory is sure. It doesn't mean that this situation is going to turn out like you want it to. In fact, it may not. For our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, it may not this week. Christ has won. How do we know? Fast forward to the end of this story. Turn with me. Revelation chapter 12. This is our last scripture. in the midst of darkness and persecution, when our victory is in doubt. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven. By the way, as you read through this book, listen how many times the voice is loud. We said last week, this is not the still small voice that you sit around and try and figure out what the will of God is. This is God shouting to his people, don't miss this. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ, have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them day and night before God. And they, same word, conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives, even unto death. Oh, may God find us faithful that we would say, Yet not I, but Christ through me. 
Christ the King, Christ the Victor. Worship team, if you'd come on up. Here's what I want to call us to think about in response to the scripture today. Number one, let us ask God that he would open our ears, our hearts, that we might hear what the Spirit says to the church today. That God might convict our hearts where sin has crept in and we have drifted far from him. And that's my question to you. Where have you seen that? Where have you felt that drift in your walk with God? And I beg you, repent. I beg you, sink your anchor into the rock of Christ Jesus and trust in Him before it is too late. Oh, where are you relying on your own righteousness, your own good works to earn you acceptance and standing before God? I beg you, repent. Trust in Christ. The memory verse this week, kids, on your coloring page is Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. It is a beautiful reminder, not only to children, but to adults, that those that I love, God says, I rebuke and discipline, therefore be earnest and repent. Some of the conversations as families in response to this. Spend some time as a family memorizing this. Not just them coloring on their page, but go home today and then this week. Help them memorize. Help them put down in their heart that those whom God loves, He corrects, He rebukes, He disciplines. Therefore, our response to God's love, God's correction, is an earnestness of heart and repenting. Talk about what does it mean that God rebukes and disciplines us. What does it mean for us to be earnest and repent? Normally at this point it says, pray together as a family that God would help you do that. Pray that the God by his spirit would work in your life. Uh, let's lift our eyes off of ourselves this week. Spend some time this week as a family praying for brothers and sisters who may very well see moms and dads murdered in front of them this week. Children who might lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. Oh, let us intercede for brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Let's stand together. I want to call you to stand before the Lord for just a second. The message to these seven churches is the full message to all the church. That means elements of this are in our church whether it is coldness of heart and drifting, whether it is trusting in what we believe or trusting in our good works to save us when the rest of our life doesn't really match up, whether it is sin that has crept into maybe your heart and your life. Oh, hear that call. Repent. Return to Christ again this morning. We're going to proclaim that. Even as these two young people proclaimed with their words and their actions in baptism, trust and faith in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, we're going to do the same thing as we come to the table of the Lord. Even as Paul said, when we do this, we proclaim his death until he comes again. But before we come, this time is only for Christians. 
This is only for those who have trusted in him. Just as it would be inappropriate for an unbeliever to show up on a Sunday morning and just because somebody else got baptized say, I want to get in the hot tub too. Number one, it's not hot. It was cold. And number two, that's a declaration that I'm trusting Christ for salvation. It would be inappropriate for someone who doesn't trust Christ to do that. Are, Are you tracking with me? It's the same thing in coming to the table. It makes no sense to come if you're not a believer. But if you are, let us come carefully this morning. Let us examine our hearts. If there is sin, man, right? I'm going to give you like a minute or two. But you don't need a minute or two to figure out what it is. The Holy Spirit's already convicting your heart. It's already right there. In fact, you're barely listening to what I'm saying. Repent. Confess and turn from it. Ask for help. Examine your hearts. And then as we sing, but would you just stand quietly before the Lord for about a minute? Meet with him. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.